The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. November 19th, 2023, A Journey to Conquering the Idols of the Heart, Part 2. Gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for this Lord's Day that you have blessed us with. And Father, we just reflect on how thankful we are of all the things that you have blessed us with, especially as we look forward to celebrating Thanksgiving ahead with friends and family. Lord, would you help us, Father, to keep our hearts on the right path? Would you help us, Lord, by exposing anything in our hearts that you would like to bring to light? And we know, Father, that you don't want us hanging on to any of the idols that we have allowed to creep in and that we may be clinging to even right now, Lord. And so I pray that you would use this time for your glory, Lord, that you would be exposing the idols that lie within each of our hearts, Lord, and that you would just help us to begin identifying them, repenting from them, Lord, and just leaving them at the foot of the cross and running in the opposite direction. Father, and we trust that you will show us what that direction is, Lord. We trust that you will help us to put off the things that we need to, that you will be renewing our mind through your word, and that you will help us to put on the things that we need to replace them with, Lord, for your glory and for our joy. Lord, so we just give this time to you. We thank you for it. I praise you for um, just this study, Lord. It's been so good. So we thank you in advance for this time, and we just commit it to you. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies. I am excited about all the things, um, but I recognize that I'm excited having had weeks to process all of the things. So I mentioned last week that Brad Bigney, I'm going to blame him. Here's his website. I told you I'd tell you about it last week. This is his church's website, graceky.org. And if you go to their homepage and find, you know, that little three-bar menu thing, I'm sure it's got a name, but I don't know what it is, Um, it will pop down a menu, and if you click on series, you can actually find not one, but two Gospel Trees and Series on his website. One that he taught through in 2012, and one that he taught through in 2023. So someone last week said, ah, you guys keep giving us all these great books, and I don't have time to read them. And I assured her, you don't have to. Just keep coming to class. And if this is a book that has particularly sparked an interest for you, you can literally just stream it. Listen to him teach it. If you're visual, you can watch him teach it. But, you know, there's not much to watch. But you can just listen to him teach through this book. There are PDFs you can download. If you want to just have the notes, the quick version, it gives you all the high points. Um, I haven't listened to all of his. I'll confess, Um, but the ones that I kind of focused in on and listened to were excellent, and they're very much what's in the book, even down to the stories that he tells how the Lord has used um, just circumstances in his own life to convict and reveal to him the idols that lie therein. So, um, the Lord is coming after us, and it's a good thing. We want to invite the Lord to come after these idols and help us uproot them and get them out of our hearts. So that's what we're going to do again today. Um, These things are causing us blind spots, sometimes huge ones, and we don't want that, right? We want to be living the lives the Lord wants us to live. These idols affect our relationship with God. They affect our relationship with other people, probably mostly those who we live in closest proximity to, whether that's in our homes or just our families who we spend a lot of time with, our friends who we spend a lot of time with. Um, It affects our relationship with all of creation because the things that we love sometimes aren't the people, it's the things. And we come to have these inordinate relationships out of these inordinate affections that we cling to. So, um, Brad Bigney in his study guide, which is on bradbigney.com, again, it's a free download, goes through some questions that we talked about last week, but I want to to go a little bit deeper on some of these this week. So I'm going to read a few of them. Um, He says, we are to ask ourselves as we search our own hearts, what do you want, desire, seek, aim for, pursue, or hope for? 
What are your goals, expectations, intentions? And really think about that word expectations. We're going to circle back to that a lot today because I think sometimes we just set ourselves up for failure because we expect unrealistic things, um, either of things or of people, right? And we're not supposed to do that. So what do you feel like doing? Do you want what you want or do you want Christ's lordship over your life? And I'll just add like, do your actions match your intentions? Because we all really, with our mouths, will say we want Christ's lordship over our mouth, over our lives. But do our lives reflect that? Because they need to. Where do you look for security, meaning, meaning, happiness, fulfillment, joy, or comfort? Where do you put your basic trust? What would make you happy? What do you fear? What do you tend to worry about? What do you love and hate most of all? How do you define success or failure in a particular situation? What image do you have of who you are, ought to be, or want to be? This one's always a really good one. At your deathbed, what to you would sum up your life as worthwhile? What do you see as your quote-unquote rights? When you are pressured or tense, where do you turn? What do you think about? What do you pray for? Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. So, how would you finish this sentence? For me to live is blank. How would you fill in that blank? So Jesus says in Matthew 6.21, quote, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. End quote. Brad Bigney says that our idols can be identified by examining where we spend our time, our money, and our energy. He says we might not be able to see our hearts, because remember these idols can root themselves pretty deeply and we can be unaware of them for long periods of time. So we might not see the idol, but here's what we can see as we examine. How are you spending your money? One of the questions in one of his study guides is, what are the three things you spend the most money on? And they probably correlate with our three basic needs that God has given us, right? The things we really need are food, shelter, and clothing. So those are probably the the three things you spend the most money on. But he said we can examine our lives for where we're spending our money, where we're spending our time, and where we're spending our energy. I think it's wise to add our giftedness and our talents to that list as well. Where are we spending our all of our resources? God's given us precious resources, time, energy, money, giftedness, talents. Where are we spending them? For what are we spending them? Are they kingdom purposes? So just to be clear, and he gives this caveat in his teaching, we're not talking about the things that were supposed to be done, the things that a wife does for a husband. It's part of our role in our ministry to serve him. The things we do for our children, whom we love and serve as ministry. The things we do for our employers as part of a job we've been hired to do. Those are good things. We're supposed to do those things. Um, If you're a student acquiring an education, that's part of the role that the Lord has for you. Um, Any work that we do inside or outside of our home is to be seen first and foremost as ministry, right? But in any of these roles as women, we have to examine, are we, examine, are we like coloring outside of the line, so to speak? Are we looking for um, inordinate <clears throat> things? Are we falling into the rut of perfectionism in any of these things? Um, There's so many, so many ditches we can wind up in when we create these things to be little idols in our lives. So what it begins to reveal about our heart as we identify those things is where is our worship? Where is your identity? And what is your attitude toward the, lear- the work the Lord has given you? What role does that work play in your life? And do these answers, as you think through these questions, do the answers that your thinking is revealing line up with the answers God would have you give? Are these sources of joy or sources of frustration, somewhere in between, or something altogether different? We are to do all things to the glory of God. Um, Let's take a look at Colossians 3 this morning, if you would turn there with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. 
it says if then um, in the study notes to um, John MacArthur's Bible, he says a better translation for the word if would be since. And I am going to use that word um, because all of you here are members of the church. You've all made a profession of faith. And so as believers, um, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So if you just think about, it, it kind of, I flashed back a little bit to when we talked about Heather Holloman because she loves verbs. There are so many active verbs here, right? We have been raised. We are to seek. We have been seated. Like these are all very active. We play a role in seeking the things that are above. We play a role in setting our minds on the things that are above. Um, so I'll pick up again in verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he is to be our life. Present tense. He is my life. He is your life. And when he appears, the reference to a second coming, when he comes back, am I in this moment ready for him? Or are there things that I'm supposed to be rooting out of these dark parts of my heart that he wants me to be doing so that I can be found ready for him in any moment, right? Because he's going to come like a thief in the night. We don't know when that's going to happen. So um, he goes on, and I'm going to just kind of summarize a little bit of the rest. He goes on and tells us, beginning in verse 5, the things were to put to death, so put off, right? But even stronger language, don't just put them off, put them to death. And if we put them to death, they can't come back again, right? I texted just this morning a friend and said, can you help me with a repentance plan and how I can stop from falling into that trap again? And the response was how she can help me put it off forever, entirely. I'm like, yes, that's putting it to death, right? <laughs> no, you are going to help me with that. Guess who I texted? <laughs> so, anyways. You outed yourself. I didn't know you. Um, but we're to put them to death, right, so that they don't resurrect themselves again. Jesus wants these things put to death in our lives. Put them off permanently. So he goes on um, in verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Again, this is putting, putting off language. Then he moves past that section in verse 12 and says, put on then. In other words, don't leave the vacuum, right? Don't leave the beaker. For those of you who weren't here last week, we ended with this visual that this professor says to a group of science students, there's an empty beaker, but it's full of air. You need to displace all the air. You can use any tool in the room to do it. Well, fast forward to, they finally find the solution. They fill it up with water, right? It doesn't you can't displace all the air unless you fill it up with something else. So, put off. Put on. But in the middle, we've got to renew our minds. Because he's the one that's going to tell us how to put, it, put something on rightly in its place. We don't want to put one thing off and end up filling it with something else we were not supposed to have on in the first place. So, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's you, ladies. Holy and beloved, that's you. And then he goes on the things we're supposed to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And then fast forward to verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is what we want for our lives, right? Perfect harmony. Yes, it's a high standard. But God's after our holiness, right? God gives us a high and holy standard, and he gives us the tools to be progressing toward it, right? Progressive sanctification. It doesn't happen in a moment. It happens over a lifetime. And the good news is when you uproot these idols and get rid of them, you're probably going to uproot a lot of fruit that came along with them. The bad news is he's probably going to reveal another that you can then get to work on, right? So you're smiling and snickering because you know that to be true, right? 
So don't be discouraged by that. Be encouraged. He is at work. He loves us enough to keep working on us every moment of every day. We're not to be weary, but we can get weary. That's why we need one another to come alongside us and say, don't be weary. Think back. Look at the changes. Look at the things he has done in your life. I see fruit in this area. Persevere. Right? So tell your friends. Persevere. And seeing fruit in your life. Talk to me about that. Tell me that story. Ask her if you're seeing that fruit and commend her. So um, it's not just the things we're to put off. It's the things we're put to put on. And he tells us why. So let's talk about motivation for a minute. What do I spend my time, energy, and money on? What are the things I'm busy doing? Why do I do the things I do? We can examine our attitudes closely to figure those things out. Um, am I joyful in the service that I'm doing? Has it become burdensome? Why? I need to be a good question asker of myself. Um, there's a lot of fruit that can develop when we just start asking ourselves really good questions and then filter the answers through the gospel, right? We're not just supposed to listen to ourselves. We're supposed to preach truth to ourselves. So if the answers start coming and they're causing us discouragement, then we probably haven't filtered them through the gospel quite yet. So be sure to do that as you're searching out these answers. Um, it's also about examining our affections to make sure that they're not becoming, as the Puritans we saw last week said, these idol, idols and idolatry is when we grab onto inordinate affections, things that we're trying to fill our lives with that it wasn't meant to be filled with in the first place, right? Our identities to be found in Christ, not in our work, not in our ministry, not in any other thing, in Christ. In Christ alone is where we're supposed to find that. So, um, and also in our worship, right? We're created to worship, but we're created to worship the creator, not the creation. So if we substituted something in there, we got to get rid of it so that we can get back to worshiping the right thing. Last week we said it's a good indicator that there's some idolatry in your life if you find that you're willing to sin to get something or if you're willing to sin to not lose something. Um, part of our self-examination is to kind of look at what this looks like in our lives. There are some real big obvious ones. Um, I lose my temper and yell at my husband or my children. Perhaps you tell a lie. Maybe one you even would consider a white lie, but... It's there in the definition. It's still a lie. Um, you begin to get anxious or worry. Um, I start to fear what might happen. I play the what if game in my head. That never leads somewhere good. I think we've talked about that in here before. Um, some of these were right there in the Colossians passage. Um, maybe these are more what I'll call kind of the in-your-face fruits. Like you see them. Everyone around you sees them. It's just bad. It's all bad, right? We know those ones. But there are some I mentioned last week that might be called more respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges has called them in his book, the subtitle of which is Confronting the Sins We Tolerate. Right? Again, that confronting word, God's coming after us. Um, so these are actually in Colossians as well, and we have to take them seriously. So for your consideration, here are some taken directly from his table of contents. Ungodliness, anxiety and frustration discontentment, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, lack of self-control, impatience and irritability, anger. He has a chapter on what he calls the weeds of anger, um, a whole separate chapter. And in those, he covers things like resentment, bitterness, enmity, hostility, holding a grudge, strife, or open conflict. Judgmentalism. Envy, jealousy, and related sins. Sins of the tongue could be gossip, could be slander, could just be grumbling. Worldliness. It's a long list. <laughs> he uses a story of John Newton, um, tells just a brief story about John Newton, and tells another brief story about Saul of Tarsus or Paul, um, just to highlight the very dramatic changes some people experience in their lives when they're saved. So Newton was a slave trader. Some of you may know a little bit or a lot about him, but bottom line, he was a slave trader. So he did not live a wholesome or good or godly life for most of it. Um, but at the end of his life, he said this, quote, 
My memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. That I am a great sinner. And that Christ is a great Savior. And Paul, who described himself as a, quote, blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, meaning of Christ, later he says, but Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Think about all he did for the glory of God, all he did to promote the gospel, all the churches, not only he planted, but sent letters to remind them of who they were, get them back on track, all the things he did in his life. And he considered himself the foremost of sinners. That's 1 Timothy 13 and 15. And then going back to Jerry Bridges, after he kind of outlines those stories, he says this. Both John Newton and the Apostle Paul saw themselves as great sinners, but with a great Savior. Most believers and I'm guessing most of us in this room probably fall into this camp, cannot identify with either John Newton or the Apostle Paul in the gravity of their earlier sins. We may not have committed adultery, murdered anyone, dealt drugs, or embezzled from employers. I myself, says Jerry Bridges, reflecting back on my life, can say I was an unusually obedient child, a model teenager, a trusted employee, and a conscientious husband and father. In fact, I've been on the staff of a Christian ministry for over 50 years. So he does not have the same testimony as John Newton or Saul of Tarsus. He goes on to say, However, though I have not committed any of the big scandalous sins, I have gossiped, spoken critically of others, harbored resentment, become impatient, acted selfishly, failed to trust God in difficult issues of life, succumbed to materialism, and even let my favorite football team become an idol. You can substitute in your favorite place to shop if you'd like, because that may be more hit closer to home. I have to say with Paul that I am the foremost of sinners, or to paraphrase John Newton's words, I am a great sinner, but I have a great Savior. That is my only hope. That is the only remedy for my sin, and it is your only remedy as well. You know, that's not news to you. That's probably not new to anyone in this room. We all know the sins that we tolerate in our own lives, and we shouldn't, and we know that. So I want to challenge you to embrace that truth in a new way, and work with the Lord because he's going after the idols in your heart with or without your help. Wouldn't you rather help and root them out? It will be a perhaps simpler, although may not e- may not be easier path. Um, so let's get practical for a minute, right? We could choose any topic, but not every topic would be common to the ladies in this room. So I've chosen one that's topic to all of us in this room. We're about to celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursday. All of us. And we have reason as believers to be the most thankful people in the whole world, right? Not just on Thursday, but every day of the week because of all that Christ has done for us, all that God is doing for us in our lives on a daily basis. So let me ask Have you been fretting over a menu or avoiding it? And you'll get to it later. Have you been busy making travel plans? seeing to it that you don't forget anything, checking your list twice? Are you getting anxious about spending time with some difficult or perhaps unsaved family members? Do you find yourself wrapped up in others' expectations of you? Are you putting some expectations on other people? Or have you been meditating on the good news of the gospel and what it means in your life? Are you daily, as Colossians says, seeking the things that are above? Setting your mind on the things that are above. I want to encourage you this week, set and reset your mind every single morning before you get to the to-do list. And there's only one way to do that. It's in the Word of God. He has that renewal waiting for us every single morning. And if we're not conscious and thoughtful and intentional to set and reset our minds every single day, 
they will wander because we've got these idols that are in our hearts that get into our thinking and sometimes we don't even realize it until it's too late right so how will you spend your mental energies this week your money your time your talents what will you invite into your thinking to direct it intentionally again hopefully it is the word of god so you could go through this same questioning exercise with any area of your life um any holiday could be about your work could be about your role as a wife your role as a mother as a keeper of your home as a full-time student as a full-time teacher the list goes on and on find what is yours and ask yourself some questions about it just want to encourage you to be examining that very actively in your life in a conversation with his disciples Jesus told them in John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free what more can we ask for but to be free of all of this gunk that comes in so he talks to them about being slaves to their sin and he was talking about legalism but we're not that different in our modern day lives and even in our modern day traditions think about your work day your school day what keeps you busy regularly on most days what about your traditions around thanksgiving and christmas right we're gearing up for a holiday season so there's potential around the holidays for conflict so think about the traditions you've set for your family are they a joy to your family are they a joy to you why do you do the things you do this time of year are you too busy is your family communicating that you're too busy have any of these traditions become idols in your life or let's swing to the other end of the spectrum are you missing good things do you lack traditions altogether does your family need more fun over the next six weeks there has to be a balance in all of these things and we should be listening to our immediate families right we are to serve them let's make these next few weeks a joy to them as well as a joy to ourselves Jesus continues in John 8 a little farther in verse 36 36 he says so if the son has set you free you will be free indeed we want to experience that freedom in Christ that we're intended to have so don't feel enslaved as these next weeks approach if you're feeling enslaved ask yourself the questions examine look at your family's faces are they joyfully waiting to run out the door to do all the things or are they dragging because we're asking them to do too much or are they nagging you because they want to do more um we just don't want to be in that <clears throat> dangerous territory so do you find yourself getting frustrated or angry getting anxious or fearful about the holidays we have to know what's going on in our hearts are our husbands being blessed by the things on our calendar um is someone else perhaps putting pressures on you or demands on you to do all the things that they want done and how do we handle that if it's becoming inordinate pressure on you or your husband or your children and I would encourage you to first take it to prayer and figure out if it's something that you can handle or not so we don't want to be putting inordinate demands on others but we also don't want to react inappropriately if we feel someone putting inordinate demands on us um, it's gonna be a really tricky time of year so um, as you're examining yourself in all of these things there could be conflicting reports if others in your families are examining those things so what do I mean by that there are as many little kingdoms in your house as there are people in your house right and our kingdoms can start crashing into one another if we're not communicating and if we're not careful so what are your children looking forward to they might be enthusiastically looking forward to some time off school a break they might just be looking forward to a lot of sweet treats a lot of time doing all the fun things you do every year as a family they are probably looking forward to lots of those outings your husband may feel exactly the same but what if he doesn't what happens if those kingdoms clash what if what he wants most is to just spend some time at home with his family relaxing 
because he's been working very hard. Then what do you do? What if his way of resting and refreshing is going and doing all of the things? Do you know your husband well enough to know what he wants? Have you talked to him about it? Perhaps a change is needed this year. Perhaps it's not. I don't know. I'm just here to ask the questions. Um, So maybe there are more things you should be doing. Maybe there are less things you should be doing. Find the balance for your family. Um, Maybe you're the one thinking, how come my kids get time off school, my husband gets time off work, but as they're all on break, you know where I'm going with this, my responsibilities rev up. Now I have more people to feed because we've invited people into our home, which is good. Now I have perhaps a higher expectation that my house is cleaner than it normally is. Whose expectation is that? Probably not the people you've invited in. Probably your own, perhaps. I don't know. I don't know who you've invited in. Um, People want fancier food at Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? So if you're hosting, your responsibilities may be ramping up. Um, Maybe you're going to be going and spending it with someone else and staying in their house. That can bring a lot of pressure. Um, The list goes on and on. And pretty soon, the holiday overwhelm begins when it's not supposed to be a source of overwhelm. It's supposed to be a source of giving thanks, of meditating, right? Of just a Thanksgiving table focused on gratitude for Christ and all that he's done, for the people who are seated around you. So if the sun has set you free... Be free indeed. Resist the overwhelm. Sit down and pray. Reset daily. Don't let that overwhelm overtake you. Know that that is the enemy of our souls wanting us frantic, wanting us fretting, wanting us stressful. Um, The food is not why people are coming to your house. As great a cook as you all are, The food is not why people are coming to your house. They're coming for you. They're coming to spend time with you. And the people who live in your house, they're coming to spend time with them. So um, I know sometimes I get a little frantic because my children's bathroom is also our guest bathroom. Stop being frantic. It's okay. It's okay. The Lord will give me time to do a re-clean after they clean. Right? And if he doesn't, it's okay. I know none of you will judge me if my bathroom is not perfectly clean. And if you do, then you didn't pick the right house to come to. Because you're there for me, right? And your people are there for you. So, talk to your husband. Get on the same page. And then talk to your children. And make sure you're all on the same page so that when you're getting ready to go do the very fun thing... Your kids know they're going to need shoes on their feet, so they should have found them a little while ago, right? And so no one's panicked getting out the door. So we should be thankful each and every day of our lives. Thursday, this Thursday Thanksgiving might be a little different. It might be a more formal way to celebrate, but our attitudes shouldn't be any different than they are are every other day of the week. I should be just as thankful today and just as expressive of that gratitude. It shouldn't be that different. The psalmist in Psalm 73, verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire but you, end quote. Nothing on earth. Reminds me of the hymn, right? And the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So ask him to make this true in your life if it's not. And if it is, thank him for making it true. And ask him to keep making it true. Because the things of the world start to creep in about this time of the year. Um, We want a Christmas season that the focus is looking to him who humbled himself, set aside his own deity to come to earth as a helpless babe for me and for you. We want the people around our table to see that in us, whether it's our children or our husband or friends or family, whether they're saved or unsaved. Right? We want them to be able to see that in our lives. Focusing on the grace of God before any other thing is how we get there. Not only will the overwhelm die away, but we all know that in the lives of those around us, more is caught than is taught. 
There is so much beauty in the gospel truths that can be caught about those we dine with at the holidays who may not be saved. We probably will all interact with unsaved at some point through the holiday season. Don't we want them to see our peace in the midst of a world that is not at peace right now? Um, We want them to ask us questions because we're ready for the answer to the hope that lies within, right? We're ready to share the gospel whenever they ask. Um, But we should be living it out in front of them. We need to be obeying God's call on us as wives to respect our husbands, as children to honor our parents, even at our old age, to love our children and serve them, and to evangelize those we encounter who might not know Christ. Responding biblically when the stressors come helps us to be ready to do all of those things. And we have to be ready to examine our responses when things don't go right, right? Um, when the turkey is nowhere near defrosted and it's Thursday morning. When it burns to a crisp because you have a new oven and you weren't quite sure how long to bake it. Um, when the whole family gets sick and you have to cancel Thanksgiving. You have to cancel the people who are coming. But you don't have to cancel giving thanks even if it's a sick family around a small table with a burnt turkey. We can still give thanks because that's not what it's about. So the Lord knows all of the things that are going to happen. In fact, he's the one ordaining all the difficult circumstances so that we can be refined, so that we can be progressing toward Christ-likeness. So don't get wrapped up in the what-ifs. Make your plans and pray that the Lord would help you make them before you make them, not just bless them after you make them. Um, make sure that you are not placing inordinate demands on anyone else. And if you sense that you might be, examine your heart for the idols that might be behind those things. God wants us to see them. He could use the holidays to reveal idols in our hearts we don't even know are there. So if it seems like I'm spending an inordinate amount of time on the holidays, I kind of am. It's intentional. Family warfare can break out over the holidays. Family heartbreak can enter into our holidays. The printer has a mind of its own. It does that during Sunday school sometimes. Um, These things can happen, either heartbreak or warfare, when things don't go as we've planned. So if you need to have an alternate plan, have a plan B. It's a good thing to have a plan B, right? We shouldn't get so married to our plans that when God changes them, we resist it at all costs, right? We don't want to be shaking our fist at God and stomping our feet and having an adult temper tantrum before the Lord on Thanksgiving or Christmas. We want to be more self-controlled, right? And if we're struggling with self-control, there's a whole chapter in here on lack of self-control. What are the expectations you've put on yourself? Are they too much? Your family doesn't have the same expectations as you. I'm willing to bet. They just want a peaceful life and mother, one who will enjoy the holidays with them. They don't need a, I guess we don't call it picture perfect anymore, a Pinterest perfect holiday. They don't need it. They probably don't want it. They probably wouldn't recognize it even if you gave it to them, right? Because they might just secretly want to watch the football game. I live in a house of men, so I'm preparing myself that they all probably (coughs) secretly just want to watch the football game. What are the expectations others have put on you? Are you prepared to handle them in a godly way? That one can sometimes be even harder because you're dealing with not the sinner in the mirror. You're dealing with other sinners. How can you graciously and lovingly communicate with someone whom you love that you just can't make it to that thing this year. Or how can you say, hey, we'd really love to join you this year, even though we couldn't last year. Can we come? So, um, and make sure the expectations you're feeling from others perhaps are real and not just something that you've assumed. Sometimes we can assume others have expectations of us that they really don't. Um, Communication, again, it seems to be the magic bullet for lots of things. Um, let's reconsider for a minute as we think about those expectations. James 4, 1 through 4. 
which says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights? And I'll add, what can even cause heartbreak among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then with an exclamation point, he starts verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then he goes on. It's a great chapter. It's a great thing to revisit as we're rooting out these idols and we start seeing these these problems. Um, the problems aren't primarily with other people. The problems are primarily in our own hearts. So we have to know that going in. Um, but he also gives us the answer. Look at verse 8 if you're there. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will exalt you he can give you the thanksgiving you're dreaming about which is one filled with grace and peace and hope and love regardless of what food is on your table because that's going to be gone in the blink of an eye, right? And then you have all the dishes to clean up. <laughs> How's your heart? <laughs> Grace and peace and hope and love. And ask people for help. They're always willing to help. So this right here is why we need to be memorizing and meditating and praying on Psalm 139, 23, and 24. We talked about it last week, but here it is again. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Exclamation point. Try me and know my thoughts, exclamation point, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting, exclamation point. He's serious. Three statements, three exclamatory statements. This is good news for us. This is what we need to know, the need to do. So do you know the thoughts and intentions of your heart? Maybe you do, but maybe you have some blind spots because there are some hidden idols deep. I don't have the answer for you, but I know the one who does. Ask him. I think it was Martin Luther, I'm paraphrasing, who said, um, I know not the way God leads me, but God leads me, but well do I know my guide. Or I know not the path he leads me on, but well do I know my guide. We need to know our guide because he knows the path. Hebrews 4 tells us where we find the answers. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. He is ready and willing to reveal to us these deep things in our hearts, and he uses the word to expose them. So, Set and reset every day. You can know the things that they are. One of these respectable sins that Jerry Bridges covers in his book is ungodliness. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about considering a very godly example we're given. So turn with me to chapter 31 of the book of Proverbs. And as you think about what these weeks ahead will look like, Reflect on verse 25. We'll start there. Which says, Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household. And does not eat of the bread of idleness. So, this is a woman who has her priorities in check. This is her character. She's strong. She's dignified. She's full of laughter. She's wise. She's kind. She is careful. She is a worker at home. This is a high and holy standard, but it is God's best for you, and it is God's best for me. 
<clears throat> we know that this isn't a formula or a guarantee of results. It's not a promise. It's a biblical principle. But I do want you to listen to the results of this character in her home, which were given in verses 28 and 29. It says, Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And at the end of that, Verse 28, there's a colon, and we have an open quotation mark. This is the praise that her husband gives to her in the gate. This is what he says of her. He says, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all, end quote. These are the words of a husband whose wife has done him well. May that be said of us as well. And it wraps up, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. And so my prayer for everyone in this room, myself included, is that this would be the result of our lives as we start to identify these idols, as we start to root them out. Um, and that we would spend our time this week wisely and in these next few weeks as we prepare, prepare for a lot of busyness that's probably coming all of our way, um, setting and resetting our minds on the word of Christ. Um, rooting out the idols of our heart. How do we repent from those idols? What's our plan once we've identified them? If we're struggling with letting them go is going to be the topic of our discussion next week. Um, And we will wrap up our study in idolatry um, next week. But please bear in mind, the title of this study has been A Journey to Conquering the Idols of the Heart. Um, So it's a journey that will be on for a long life, I trust. Um, So we have wrapped up early. Do any of you have questions or comments or thoughts or scriptures to share? I have a comment. Okay. As I left class last week, I had I found myself being reluctant to pray this prayer that you challenged mm. us to in homework, knowing that I do have idols in my heart. And that was an interesting process, but I prayed it anyway. And God answered <laughs> in a way that was rather intriguing. But mm. So I'm in the process of working on the repentance and making the changes but um, but I think we may want to make those changes but there's a part of us like you just said that wants we're comfortable with our idols we are and we don't necessarily want to let them go so yeah. I wanted to just be transparent about that yeah and I appreciate that because it's a very real struggle and I think that we just have to keep asking those questions until we get to that root. Um, you know, like Annie said, she ended, she did a teaching based on anger, which she thought was her issue, but the reason that she actually stepped up to do that teaching was she realized, like, that wasn't the underlying sin she was dealing with. It was just the fruit of a totally different sin. And so we can come up with the plan to battle the fruit, and we should. Please don't hear me saying we shouldn't. We should battle the fruit that's happening in our lives. But we have to dig deeper and figure out what's the root behind it. And so I know for me, when I find myself faced with this is what I need to deal with and confronted by the reluctancy of my own heart, it's like, okay, why am I reluctant? What's, what's the sin, as Brad Bigney would say, what's the sin behind the sin? Right. Um, because there's one down there, right? And for me in the past, it's been, okay, I just I want to have control of this situation and I don't. And so it's yielding a fruit of frustration and anger because people just aren't playing by my playbook. But they're not supposed to, right? It's not to be my playbook. It's supposed to be God's playbook. Um, well, and so, for me, that root, because I did, I said, mm-hmm. okay, we're, here's the fruits. Here's several of them. Yeah. What is the root? And so I really appreciated that. And for me, the root that, and I'm sure there's more than one root, but this particular root had to do with selfishness, mm. self-focused. I wanted what I wanted. Yeah. We all do. That's clear in the scripture, right? We want what we want, and when we don't get it, we're willing to, like, do battle in order to get it. We shouldn't be doing battle with the people that we love. We should be seeking to bless the people that we love. And if there's a battle, it's probably a battle of 
kingdoms, right? Because we have idols we need to root out, but the people we love also have idols they need to root out. It's not our job to root them out for them, but God may call us to lovingly come alongside and hold a mirror up. The mirror needs to be God's word, not the log that's in my own eye, or sorry, the plank that's in my own eye, right? We have to get that log or that plank, depending on the translation, out of our own eye first. Like, I can't bring a sin to my husband because it's just not going along with my plan, but I ought to bring a sin to my husband's attention because it's not God's best for him that he stay in that place, right? So I shouldn't be bringing my children's sins to their attention because it benefits me for them to change. I should be bringing my children's sins to their attention because God's best for them is that they let that thing go and do the thing he's called them to. And I just know from my own self-examination, it's a pretty good indicator for me that I'm bringing sin in front of my children with wrong motives when I'm getting frustrated and angry. Because if I'm frustrated and angry, I haven't trained them properly, number one, and my motive in this moment right now is probably not very godly, right? Because we're told that we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? What's the reason we are to be slow to become angry? Because the wrath of God does not work the whole as it goes. The wrath of God does not. Yeah, can't think of the rest of it. Anyone else? Thank you. Yeah, the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Other translations say the righteousness that God desires. Whichever translation you have, your anger isn't going to make it happen for godly purposes. My anger is not going to cause it to happen for godly purposes. And if this act of disobedience needs to be overlooked so that I can get my own heart in check, probably for the best, right? Overlook it for the moment because it'll come back, right? How many of you have raised kids and they're out of the house? Raise your hands if you've raised kids and they're out of the house. Does it come back? Does it happen again? Do you have another opportunity to train it? You do. So get yourself right first. Get the log or the plank out of your own eye. And I'm saying this to myself. I say this to myself a lot lately because God's revealed this to me. Get the plank out of my own eye. Just do whatever it is that needed to be done that you asked someone else to do that didn't do it. And deal with it the next time it happens because it will happen again. And if it doesn't, maybe me joyfully just doing it and not asking a second time could possibly convince a little heart without me even knowing it because God's at work in my kids in ways I don't even know. I don't even understand. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. What matters most to God is my response in that. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate Maureen. Thanks for bringing that up. And I actually had a similar thought last week when you encouraged us to pray that prayer, search me on God. And then um, as I was reading through the whole chapter, Psalm 139, um, the Lord just really encouraged me with verse 1. It was like, they're like bookends. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. And the encouragement there, I think, for us could be that as we have experienced the Lord convicting us of sin in the past, how has he dealt with us? Mm-hmm. We are able to approach the throne of grace with confidence mm-hmm. and receive mercy and grace in our time of need as we humble ourselves before the Lord. So that gives us confidence to come to God yet again, knowing that we're not perfected and that we will continue to receive that mercy and grace that we need. And also he's promised that he's going to be faithful to forgive us of our sins because of who we are in Christ, because what Christ has done. And even tying that in like your chapter in Colossians 3, Um, since we have been raised with Christ in verse 12 we're chosen in Christ we're holy we're made holy in Christ we're justified and Sierra John chosen holy and beloved Beloved. yeah Yeah. he loves us and it's all because of what Christ has done that's 
our motivation for how and why we can pursue that holiness. Yeah. And as he deals with us in our sin, I think we're more convicted to deal with others in their sin more graciously. I also see more sin in myself. <laughs> yes. Honestly. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Because I think the more the Lord reveals, I think for me, just personally, I have to remember who I am in Christ. Otherwise, it can get very um, depressing. Yeah. And it's like, here we go again. You know, oh, there's that. I never saw that before, you know. So, and not that I don't think the Lord keeps us there. I mean, he's so faithful to encourage us and to just his patience mm-hmm. is overwhelming at times. Well, it's his um, kindness. And his kindness is mercy. Yeah. All at once. Yes. Because we couldn't stand underneath it. Yeah. But I was just encouraged yeah. by that in just verse 1. You have searched me, Lord. You have known me. And then, you know, the whole chapter about basically is God's omniscience. He knows me better than I know myself. And he's given me a spirit. Mm-hmm. He hasn't left me alone. He hasn't left me an orphan. Yeah. Thank you for that so, encouragement. Anyways, I was encouraged by verse 1 as I was struggling to, oh, Lord, I don't really want to pray that prayer. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. <laughs> no, but that's but, a great you know, encouragement. Honest, you know? But that's a great encouragement to all of us. Just start in verse 1 yeah. and read the whole thing through. Yeah. yeah. Context is yeah. so good. And probably the psalmist started in verse 1 and slowly worked toward that to prepare us for it. Yeah. <laughs> good. For those of you who weren't here at the beginning, by the way, um, I put Brad Bigney's website up here. I also put his church's website up here. Um, because if you don't have the time or the bandwidth in your life to read another book, he has, if you go to their main page and then you find those three menu bars, if you click on series, there are two series that he taught at his church titled Gospel Treason. There's alphabetical scroll down, one from 2012 and one from 2023, um, that you can just listen in on the messages. You can just stream it. And he, go, he goes basically through, um, maybe not the whole book, but most of it. Um, and he even tells you, like, these are the chapters he gives you homework. There's a PDF if you want to download it for homework or not. It's fun. Um, but I just wanted to give you another resource if you don't have time for another book um, or you have a budget for another book. I get that. Um, you can get it for free right there. And he's, uh, he's very encouraging and convicting all at the same time. But he's also very real. Um, you know, he shares anecdotes from his own life where the Lord's dealt with him. So, um, and I appreciated what you said about You know, it just reminded me when you were talking about that verse, when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The last part of that in 1 John 1, 9, it says, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what he wants for us. And so, yes, he's coming after us. And yes, it can be hard. And sometimes we're reluctant. But he can and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness on the day when he returns. Um, but until then, he is doing a cleansing work over and over in these different areas that we're struggling in. So um, we're all on the journey together. So we need to encourage each other. Um, we all need one another's encouragement and help and hope that we have. So let's close in prayer. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I'm not sure how many of you or if anybody here this applies, but there may not be a cart functioning today. So if you need a cart ride upstairs, maybe just poke your head out there and see that they were, um, they were not available this morning. So their security and safety is working on it, so they may be right now, but I just want to give you a heads up. I should have given it earlier, so if you needed that help, you could make your way up slowly. Yes, ma'am. So there's two gospel trees in one on there. Is it 2012, 2023, or just both? He just went over it again. He did it twice. Yeah. He did it twice, yes. 2012 was closer to when he wrote the book. 2023 was very recent. So, all right, let's go. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Father, that you don't leave us where you find us, that you are doing a work in us, Lord. And I just pray for each one of us here, Lord, that... Um, if we are reluctant, Lord, that you would just reveal that to us, that you would help us to see it, and that you would help us to overcome that urge to, to resist change, Lord, and that you would help us to dig more deeply beyond even just the fruit that we see in our lives or that others see so that we might get to these idols that are hidden deep within our hearts, Lord, that we wouldn't be 
drifting from the gospel truths that you've given us, but that we would be applying them, that they would be front and center in our thoughts and in our minds, and that we would be resetting our minds each and every morning on your word, on your truth, and that we would be asking you to um, reveal to us the things that you already know about our hearts. We thank you, Father, again, that you don't reveal them all at once, that you are gracious, you are kind, that you are long-suffering with us, Lord, and I pray that we would be patient and even long-suffering with those around us, Father, and that we would be most focused on our own sin, and that we would just be uprooting the idols and getting the logs out of our own eyes so that your gospel would be on display throughout um, this holiday season and well into the next new year that you are blessing us with, Father. Pray you would prepare our hearts for whatever you have for us upstairs this morning and that we would be women who are strong and dignified, kind and careful, Lord, that we would be workers at home and that we would be joyful as we celebrate all the things you've done for us and in us and that you will do through us. In your son's name, amen.